I'm Brian Carpenter, host of Fresh Air at Five, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And welcome to another great episode of My EdTech Life. Thank you so much for all of you guys that are joining us tonight tonight live. And uh, well, I can say in person, but you're joining us live, whether you're watching us on Facebook, LinkedIn, if you're on YouTube, or if you are on Twitter. Thank you so much, as always, for your support. And I am really excited about today's episode. I mean, as always, we always try and find some amazing, amazing educators, creators that are out there that are doing some amazing and innovative things. And of course, today is no exception. And I'm just so thrilled and excited to have Stacy Roshan on the show today. And we're just going to be talking, just having a great conversation, getting to know Stacy. We're going to get to know her passion for teaching, her passion for technology, and we'll see what else that we get into. But again, let me turn it over to Stacy. Stacy, how are you doing this evening? It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you for this conversation to see what we're going to dive into and talk about. And uh, I'm so thankful for those people who are joining live and for those people who are going to view after. Yes, of course. And guys, if you're joining us live, please join us with your comments. Pop them in on either, like I said, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and we're here to help. If you want to throw any shout outs or any questions for Stacy throughout the show, please feel free. And I already see Mel is joining us and I see a couple of people here. So yeah, look at that. We have got the crew who is here. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and joining us live. Now, Stacy, I know that this may seem uh, as an awkward question because I know that you are on Twitter, you're on social media, and you've done so many other presentations. However, should there be any audience members or viewers that are watching or listening to the episode for the first time, could you please give us a little brief introduction and share what your context in education is? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I am actually in my 15th year as an educator. I started as a math teacher and then I started getting really interested in tech integration as really solutions to problems in my class. I'm sure we're going to get into that as we talk today. And so I have moved more into the ed tech space because I've just found amazing, amazing solutions and technology for some of my primary goals, which really revolve around, first of all, to ease the anxiety in some of my high-level math classes, and then to really empower every learner in my classroom with a voice and a platform to share the ideas in a format that best fits them to really help them build their confidence and for me to get to know them better, you know, to deepen those relationships. And, you know, as that has evolved for me, I've done more speaking and consulting, which has just been so uh, heartwarming because I know how much inspiration I've gotten from this educator community. And it's really what's fueled me 
fueled my professional development and my growth and my passion. And now I'm really able to do a lot of that work um, in sharing ideas and connecting with people in spreading, um, you know, great things that are happening and innovative ideas. And that is one of my biggest goals now. I also had a chance to write a book and publish um, with DBC Inc., Tech with Heart. And the goal of that book is just, you know, those goals I was saying before, it's to share my journey in ed tech integration, um, you know, from the beginning of my flipping my classroom and how that's led to me finding more platforms to just make a more inclusive and empowering classroom environment for all my students to contribute and how it fits into my personal stories as an introverted perfectionist. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. I mean, you really jam-packed a lot of great stuff in there and I couldn't help but agree with a lot of the things that you're saying because I've seen them. I've seen you present. I have seen the way that you present tech in such a way where, again, you're, it's not you're pushing the product, but really it's you're showing how this integration really works and how it is valuable. And one thing that you mentioned is just kind of to ease that anxiety more than anything, number one, for students. But the way you present it, you make it so simple for educators to follow because, as you know, there may still be, even though we did go through pandemic and a lot of, you know, we had to flip the switch and all of a sudden, you know, our laptops are our classrooms and so on. A lot of teachers, that transition wasn't very easy, but I know that there were many wonderful leaders such as yourself that were presenting during this time and you did a phenomenal job to prepare teachers during that time. And of course, their transition back into the classroom, those tools and those strategies really remained. And so thank you so much for what you've done and what you continue to do. So again, I'm just really excited to have this conversation tonight. So Stacey, let me ask you now, okay, I, I always love to start with the origin story for me. And I always say it, and I know people that listen to the show, they're like, oh, here he goes again. Cause I always say it. I was like, look, the people that I invite on the show, you know, are people that I see and that I've looked up to and in some way, shape or form have even inspired my own practice let's say like a superhero per se. And as we know, every superhero has an origin story. So if you don't mind, Stacey, you can go back as far as you can or share as much or as little as you like. But I'm always interested to hear if, you know, were you, oh, it was this a track for you right from the get-go? Like you knew you wanted to go into education or was this, uh, or falling into education and falling in love with it and doing what you're doing was at like a pivot point. So if you don't mind sharing with that or sharing that with us, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So if I had followed my heart from the beginning, I would have gone right into teaching. Did I do that? No, not quite. Um, so I will start with some background. My mom is a math teacher and she inspired the love of teaching. Uh, for sure. She was my math teacher. She's what made me love math so much. She gave me that understanding of math, the beauty in math, that math confidence from the time I was in elementary school. She started working with me and just that was infused into what we did growing up. Um, and it was just, it's such a gift. And so I 
like have a younger sister. I loved being her teacher. I made little school. Like that was my jam. I loved school. I loved school all through college. I mean, high school was a little bit, I don't know. Does anybody really love, love high school yet? I want to be a high school teacher, you know? So yeah, no, just want to make the experience better. But um, I tutored through high school. My mom actually taught at a local community college. She taught um, some classes actually on the weekend. She took me, that's what, how I started my math, actually. She took me to her community college class that she was teaching and she would teach some of the classes based on like what she wanted to teach me. And I sat in her classes and I learned math from a very early age from the very best. Anyway, she was teaching some of these courses on Saturday mornings when I was in high school and I went and I tutored, volunteered, tutored in the math center there. I loved it. I loved tutoring. I tutored through college, but in college, I studied economics. I studied a very math track of economics. I was very lucky that my program at NYU had something that was a very math theory focus. And, um, you know, it was applied math. And I guess, you know, there's multiple reasons I didn't go right into education. I also studied economics in grad school. Um, and then I did economic consulting for a very short amount of time. I did not like it. Um, I was missing something. It just was not fueling me. And so that is when I happened upon this math teaching job that now this is my 15th year at the same school. I mean, it was just like the perfect fit, the perfect timing. And I went into that without really having ever taken a education math course. But, you know, I'm teaching at an independent school where they were really looking at my background in math. And it's like, it was a perfect match and I'd never looked back a day. My first year teaching was actually the most amazing thing. I know a lot of teachers say their first year teaching, like they look back on it. I look back on my first year teaching and I just, it was the best memories, the best time because I had finally found something that really was it for me. Like I, I just knew it. Um, and I, I love being a teacher. I love that. That's wonderful. And, you know, Stacey, it's amazing that, I, you know, oftentimes the people that I do invite here on the guest, for, uh, sometimes we have very similar stories. And right now you were mentioning, I was like, you know, the same thing with me. Like I never wanted to go into teaching, but I went into, I went to business school because it's like, hey, I want to be rich. And then my specific area specialty was marketing. And I did the marketing, I did the sales, I did all of that. And like you said, it, it just wasn't fulfilling, but at the same time, because there was a fork in the road where, you know, my dad uh, did get a little bit ill during that time. I needed to find some free time and I landed a job because of the math skills as a teacher. And I absolutely fell in love with teaching and everything about it. And very similar to yourself, I think like my first year, I was just so excited and thrilled because I you know, that void that I might have had, you know, with yeah. my previous career, I didn't have that anymore. And the interaction with the students. And I think also a lot of those skills transferred over very well. You know, you're dealing with marketing. I always tell, um, you know, I, I always tell people I was doing personalized learning before it even became a buzzword because I was selling algebra to all my 30 students in a specific way that they would buy. And, you know, it, it just, the magic was there. And, been in education now for 16 years and I mean very similar story but I'm always excited to hear that and uh, 
again, you know, you've not, how many years in education now, Stacey? This is my 15th. 15th. That is awesome. And it's always been math, though, that you've been teaching. Yeah. Okay. Only math. High school awesome. math. Yeah. That's the way I started, too. High school math. And then I moved down to elementary. And I think I always tell people I kind of honed in my skills in elementary. I think a little bit better. I had a little bit more time with the kiddos and having more fun. But thank you so much for sharing that story. And um, so tell us a little bit about going back into that first year. You know, what were some of the obstacles that you faced? And the only reason that I ask this is because I know that school year's ending and we're going to get some new teachers that are going to be coming along, you know, and joining school districts. And maybe if some of them are going to be watching the show or revisiting the show, maybe, you know, some advice that you would share with them, you know, things that, you know, they should look forward to in their first year. Yeah. So in my first year, I'll say that, you know, I was just looking at what I needed to do to get by. I accepted my teaching position. Um, I think I had like three days before new teacher training began. <laughs> it was August 15th. I didn't even have a textbook. I didn't, you know, I had never taught math before. None of that stuff. I'm, luckily, I had my mom right there to ask her a million questions of. But um I just was like, you know, doing what I needed to do to stay ahead of the kids. Like I'm a planner. So that really did serve me very well. Like I'm a very much of a kind of a regimented planner. And, um, you know, I just did the things that I knew was going to be good for my students. I was just kept looking to them for feedback. And because I was developing things as I went, because I had to, I just constantly was looking for that feedback. It was really about those relationships. I think that was what was making me, my, like my heart sing, you know, as being an educator. And it worked so well. Um, and I was, so like the thing I can say is I was working nonstop. I was working all the time. I had three preps to start, ended up with a fourth prep as the year went um, because there was something that I needed to do to help out. And you know, it was so much, but I was just finding so much joy in it. And I wasn't putting a ton of pressure on myself, amazingly, um, to make it all perfect. Because, you know, I knew that, like, I just, my best thing that I could do was to make the kids feel confident in math and to enjoy math. Like, that was my primary driver, my primary goal. And that was, like, the goalpost that I was looking at. And, um, yeah, I think that made it all work really well because I started with that thought of like I need to I need to gain these kids trust so that I can help them build confidence and that's what I've continued to try and do as best I can um in all my years teaching you know and that's some really great advice you know it's always about building that community and and I'm going to quote what my friend Josh Tovar always says he's an amazing principal but he all know he always says it's all and I think he quotes Ryan Scott, too, because it's always, you know, connections before content, building that community, building that trust and, you know, having that psychological safety, even in a classroom, makes so much of a difference in establishing that culture that you set the expectation from the very beginning. And that can definitely help you, you know, throughout the year, avoid any of those little pitfalls as far as, you know, discipline may be concerned and other things that may come up if you really have that strong foundation. So thank you for sharing that because I think oftentimes many 
teachers forget that or don't emphasize that that much. But because at the same time, it's always been go, go, go from day one curriculum. I got to check all the boxes, make sure that everything's set and so on. And But we need to really take a step back and, and establish that rapport and establish that friendship and that culture. So yeah, definitely agree with you on that and eases that anxiety. You get to know each other a little bit better and then the students respond more. Awesome. All right. So now I wanted to know a little bit more as far as your math background and now your teaching. Where did that spark for tech come from? You know, when did you start saying, you know what, I, I, I want to start integrating some technology here. And then you took off on your tech trip that now you get to share with everybody and, you know, so many tech tools and so many great tech practices. So tell us a little bit about how that got started. Yeah, so I started teaching in 2007. And in the 2009-2010 school year, I was teaching AP Calculus, had wonderful students, but I found that class environment getting very stressed out. You know, it's a high pressure course. We had so much material to get through so quickly. Um, and I just like, I was like, I need a better way. I'm standing up at this board for way too long. I'm not doing what I thought I was going to do. And I, one of the things that, you know, I teach at an independent school, I knew there was going to be smaller class sizes. That year I had a bit of a larger class and I was not getting around to every single student every single day, which was like totally my goalpost. Like I, I wanted, that was what I wanted my classroom to look like. And so, you know, I just was in search of a solution. And that summer I got to do some professional development through my school they sent me to the Allen November BLC conference, and that was like very transformative for me. So I knew that I was going to that conference with this thing in my head, like what am I going to do to be that teacher that I want to be in my AP calculus classroom? Like, how am I going to shift something? And I was going with that goal in mind, a problem. And I found a solution when I was there. My solution was simply, this was before like the flip classroom had become a thing. You know, like we say, like, so many of us were doing things before they become buzzworthy, right? Because, and I think that's when they fit your classroom the best because you start with a problem. So again, I had that problem and then I learned about screencasting. That was it. To me, I was like, okay, I know that I'm going to make video lessons for all of chapter two for my students. Chapter two is a chapter we start with in that class. And it's kind of a little bit of review, introductory things. I knew that it was something that my students were going to be able to handle. I, I felt confident about it. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to make these screencasts. So I just, I had a tablet PC at the time. I was going to make some screen recordings and that was going to be the very instructional material. And then when kids came to class, they would have watched that ahead of time. And then we would do problems in the classroom. So it wasn't going to be like this mad dash of them asking all their questions in the last 10 minutes of class when I gave them time to start what was previously like the bookwork, the homework, right? And so when we started class that year, I made sure that, you know, I shared with students like, okay, for this review unit, we're going to be watching videos. You're going to watch videos for homework and then you're going to come to class and we're going to do the bookwork. Now, were they nervous about this idea? Yeah, because they'd never done anything like that before. And, you know, it just wasn't really a thing that they were exposed to. But um, I was very careful to build the trust early on with them and say to them, like, this is just for this review unit. If you like it, we're going to continue it. 
Um, but I'm also going to like take your feedback on what you like, what you don't like. Their main nervousness was that like, oh my God, like I'm going to have questions when you're talking. How am I going to get the questions asked, you know? Um, and so, but that develops and they were comfortable because it was a review unit. I think that was a major seller there. But then we ended up doing videos the entire year. I never did one like traditional lecture that entire year. Not to say we didn't start class with conversation. We definitely do. But it just, they were always watching a video before they came to class. And it worked out incredibly well from the get-go. Again, there's like things that I think are super important there, like building that tr relationship, building that trust, letting the kids know that, you know, you're building based on their feedback. I did get a lot of feedback from these kids in terms of how to make really effective videos for them. And, and I used that as I continued to evolve my practice. But um, that was a transformational moment for me where I saw the power of technology to provide solutions to problems that I was having. And so after I did that, my, you know, and I talk about this in my book too, I'm very careful to try and mention this whenever I talk that in my book, I like lay out an eight year evolution of my journey into tech integration because each year it evolved. So, you know, people might hear me talk now and and hear about all these things that I did with technology in my classroom. But please remember, if you're a new teacher, you're, you're, you're starting your tech integration journey. For me, I always did it slowly. And I always did one very intentional thing at a time. And I did take it slow. I introduced it to my students. I made sure that, you know, there were a lot of routines in my classes so that as the math ramped up, at least we had the routines in place already so that students knew what to expect. And it became, you know, something that they were in the practice of doing already. So it didn't feel like, oh my God, a new tech tool and a brand new math concept in calculus and, you know, um, rolling things out slowly. So I was comfortable and so that my students were comfortable, I think has been a very major component to my success. And I love everything that you said there and just that slow integration. You hit on so many great points, Stacey, because I think now nowadays, and of course, because of pandemic, so many companies came out and everybody was giving their stuff away for free for a year for the trial and so on. And, you know, so teachers were inundated with so much tech. And then it, it was like, well, like this is too much. And, and some of them, you know, the, the innovative teachers or, or the, the risk takers, they, they want to try everything and not everything may work. And that can also cause some frustration and anxiety, not only with the students, but with the teachers as well. But I love that you said that you don't have to really just put everything on them. It's just all about being intentional. One tool, like you started with screencasting, being very intentional with it. But what I also love, Stacey, is that you said that you were getting feedback from your students. You were learning from them. They were telling you what's working and what's not. And I think oftentimes as teachers, we can get just a little bit like, uh, like, I, I don't want to hear, you know, maybe some feedback. What, what do my students think? But I think that if we are open to that feedback, that can definitely help us be better teachers and it also just makes builds that culture so how was it for you those those very first time that you were getting some feedback what was your your reaction to that from your students so you know again it's like when you're asking for feedback 
knowing what you're looking for. So I knew that my biggest goal was to ease some of the anxiety that students were feeling. So I made sure that, you know, some of my questions were going towards that. And also like, how are you able to watch the video? Like what more do you need from me so that I could give them the support that they were looking for, knowing that, um, you know, there's only certain things like you can't respond to every every request that students have. Otherwise, they would ask for things like, I don't want much homework. I want five minute videos, you know, things like this. So we have to be like targeted with what we're asking for from kids. And when they request certain things, explain, you know, like some of my students did say, for instance, um, some of my videos run the longer end, you know, like I prefer a five minute video. Okay, but if you had a five minute video, we would have to change this in class. Would you want that? A lot of times the answer is then, no, I rather have a little bit longer video so that we can finish all the textbook problems in class, you know, and just having like discussions. Again, I'm teaching high school students, so I can have very adult conversations with them when we develop that trust, you know, um, and I think that is very important too. I, when I explained it at the beginning, from the beginning, I explained to students I didn't my first year explain to parents it was okay. I'll tell you that's one thing you should always do, especially if you're teaching like kids that are younger than juniors and seniors. Make sure you explain it to parents first because when kids have any uncertainty, they're worried about things that go to their parents. If their parents don't really understand, they probably can't help them get feeling comfortable and confident. So I always recommend explain it to parents and students at the beginning of the year. Explain why you're doing it, what the purpose of it is, once they can really understand that, I think then they can give you better feedback, first of all. And also they will, you know, just be more willing um, to participate in the process of getting comfortable with something new that you might be doing, because it is going to be a process of learning for them. And they have to know that you're there to support them along the way. And then it's not going to necessarily be easy every step of the way, but like there's a purpose behind it. And again, like, that you're there to support them. So I think that was throughout the feedback that I was getting from the very first year that I started doing it was just that students felt very supportive. I think that is the biggest thing that I hear repeatedly from my students in feedback forms. And that is what my primary goal is too. So I spend a lot of time working on it is making sure that students feel that they are supported and that they are heard. That is wonderful. That is very well put. And, you know, you mentioned you're working with high school students, but I want to reassure teachers also as well, because like I mentioned to you, when I moved to elementary, I honed in my skills. I was doing like sixth grade and fifth grade. And the very same things that you mentioned that you were working with high school students, I was able to accomplish with sixth graders and fifth graders. Now, I never taught lower than that than fourth grade, but or actually lower than fifth grade. But very much of what you said just really resonates. And it just reminds me of my time in the classroom where you're going through this tool, but also keeping in mind the parents and working with the parents, communicating with the parents. And luckily, you know, the parents were also willing to learn. They would come to school and we would have meetings or I would create videos 
for them on how you would do this from home, from your own phone, or how Google Classroom works and so on. And we always had an open line of communication. So it wasn't just with the student, but it was with the parents. And like you mentioned, that really helped out a lot that later on, the parents were able to support some of the things that the students were doing at home, but because they learned it from me and we all worked together. And so it's something that can be done, but it is going to take some work. It is going to take some planning. But in the end, I always said, you know, the return on investment, the ROI is going to be greater in the long run. So the more work you put in in the beginning, establishing the culture, and of course, setting, uh, you know, your, your, um, oh my gosh, I, I just lost the word, but really just uh, everything that you're going to, your flow for your classroom and your, your steps, expectations, routines. I mean, later on, everything is just going to be going so smooth. And I love that. So thank you so much for sharing that, because I know that many of our audience members that will be listening to this later on, that would be, definitely be very beneficial to them to hear and, and just making those connections. So Stacy, talk to us now, you know, you told us some of your practice, you know, working with uh, high school, you told us how you started integrating tech nice and slow. And you mentioned your book, which I do want to get into now. So this is a nice little segue into your book. So you mentioned that this was an eight year, really mu pretty much kind of like a documentation of an eight year, uh, you know, journey with technology. So tell me a little bit where the idea to just say, okay, hey, you know what? I want to share what I'm doing here. How did that opportunity or, you know, just thought come about? So I started when, I, let's go back to 2010, when I was at that conference at the Alan November conference, he said to us, Alan was on stage and said, if you're not on Twitter right now, you got to get on Twitter. So of course I listened to Alan November. I get on Twitter, named my Twitter at BuddyXO. My dog's name was Buddy and I love him very much. Thinking I'm never going to use Twitter ever. Um, little did I know, right? So I, I said, okay, I'm going to make it right now. Made it. And then I started just like lurking on Twitter for about a year. I was just like following what people were saying. I wasn't posting as much myself. I was just watching and I was just so inspired by what I was learning there. And then that next summer, I was going to do some more learning, you know, and, and developing of my courses. And so I decided I was going to start a blog because that was something else I had learned at the conference that was very important. So I started just blogging more for myself as like a portfolio thinking, you know, nobody's going to really read this thing and just like documenting what I was learning that summer. And I continued actually to think about my blog website in that way. Like I put up there things that like I've accomplished that I like want to look back on things that I want to be able to easily reference. Somebody asked me because I can search for it in my blog and it's just all housed in one place. Like I continue to blog for myself. Like I, when something comes up, I put it on there. People were asking me questions about, you know, like as I started my, flipping my classroom, they would ask me questions and then I would put out a blog post um, instead of just like I was responding. People would email me or maybe Twitter DM me and then I would like write some long emails. And I started like making them into blog posts because I was like, OK, well, I'm helping one person or like five people just email me the same type of thing. Why don't I put it on my blog? And then as I started doing more of that and people would ask more questions, I was like, at some point in there, which was about 
probably like the summer before I ended up publishing my book. I was just like, there's a missing piece to this story. And the missing piece is like my background and why I did a lot of it. Right. So like you'll read the blog posts and I feel like that was like, I feel like my blog posts were the basis of my book. It was like the roots of like what I was doing. I had been documenting, you know, feedback from students over the years, um, you know, quotes that they had said, things that, you know, I had just been like documenting this all on my blog. So that was like my first source of things was like the meat of many of much of the book ended up being through my blog posts. And then um, I just decided that I was going to like put a story to it. Um, and I wasn't actually sure at first that I was ever going to like actually publish a book. Um, I had some extra time one summer. Uh, it was like one of those summers where like I thought I was going to be doing one thing and then I had more time on my hands than I thought I was going to have. Sometimes free time is the most wonderful blessing you can have. I try and remember that all the time that this summer of like having a little bit of downtime what creativity it sparked. Like it sparked a whole book. Like I really, I wrote this book over that summer. Um, and I, you know, I told my story and I got really honest in the beginning of the book. It's very personal, comes from a very personal spot. Some of my struggles, um, in school myself, um, again, you know, like we got to this introverted perfectionist a little bit when we were starting, but, um, you know, I had trouble verbalizing my answers on the spot. I was never, I still to this day, I'm not one that loves raising my hand. I'm not going to ever be the first person to raise my hand. Doesn't mean I don't have something to say. Doesn't mean I don't want to contribute. I just sometimes need a different forum or sometimes I need to see questions in advance or just have a heads up about how things are going to go. Um, and uh, so that has, you know, that's really led to the next phase of, of my journey after flipping my classroom. But that also was the beginning of my book of me really for the first time sharing the personal like journey and some of the struggles that I went through. I had never been able to be vulnerable before that moment. Um, like even with some of my best friends, I never had told like what struggles I had gone through. And so this is a big moment for me to open up. And the reception that I've gotten since I published the book has been absolutely incredible. I mean, some of the messages you're popping up on the screen from people who are tuning in live right now are just people who have read my book, who have been able to connect with, who have just been such great supporters and people who have fueled me. I don't think that they understand how they fuel what I continue to do just through the support that I've gotten through them connecting, um, through them continuing to like want to engage with me and, you know, amplify the work that I'm doing, the work that now they're doing and they're sharing with me. It is just like absolutely incredible. So I know I've gone a little bit on a tangent on this, but I'm saying this because I just want to say that, you know, for me, I was somebody who was hesitant, a bit hesitant to share at first because I was like, I don't want to just like, you know, kind of like, put all this out about me, about me, about me. And it felt a little bit self-centered at first. But the fact is when we do share, we do share our own personal journeys. And especially when we can get to a point of being a bit more vulnerable and telling the truth of what we've gone through, some of the struggles we've gone through, perhaps that other people can relate to. It's extremely powerful. And by sharing what you're doing, other people, that will be their fuel. 
Oh, I agree with you 100%. You know, just really just hearing your story and really just the passion that you are sharing right now. I mean, whomever, whoever it would be that's listening to this and those of us ourselves that have seen you present. And I know you mentioned it's like, oh, I'm an introvert and so on. I was like, I would have never thought that you would say that you would be an introvert because, I mean, you just have this great way of speaking and presenting your ideas and just sharing. But thank you so much for sharing that and, you know, making yourself vulnerable because because that's important many times. I mean, we're not going to be just perfect all the time, but also in your classroom, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to not know every answer. And it's okay that, you know, sometimes the lesson doesn't go according to plan, but many times the students are the ones that might even take over and say, hey, Ms. Roshan, don't worry, check this out. We found out this way and we can do it this way. And just the way that I experienced it would be like, whoa, whoa, hold up, Mr. Mendoza. I found an easier way of doing this. And then you're learning from one another. So I really appreciate your honesty and just where you're coming from. And really, you know, the, the name of the book, Tech with Heart, I can definitely see your heart and you shared your passion for this. So it's just wonderful. And thank you for putting that out there and everything that you do out there, because it's coming from a great place, you know, and you're sharing your experiences and going back to storytelling. It's like, that's where we learn best from too. You know, everybody's got a story and we can all learn from one another. So thank you. Can I follow up on um, the point you said about, you know, like me being introverted and, um, you know, something that I think about a lot is I, so I'm very introverted, but I love presenting, right? So I think sometimes like it's very easily confused, like, um, you know, like that seems like something that somebody who is more outgoing, I'm not outgoing, I'm pretty shy and I'm very introverted. Like I'm not like somewhere in the middle there. But for example, like I have presented so much more. I mean, there's like not even a comparison. I mean, this is like a huge growth in my presenting since the pandemic and more things went virtual because this is very, I'm able to do much more and stay um, healthy, well, and like happy in my, in my own self. If I was doing the amount of presenting that I'm doing and being on the road, that would not be good for anything for me because that's just like not that would be very draining to me not to say I don't like doing it I do like doing it but it's draining in a way that like I can only do so much of otherwise it's not going to be a healthy thing for me so something that I notice a lot of in my classroom and even as I've said this being this type of person myself right one of the very simple things that I do a lot of is I do flip grids where, you know, I have students either verbalize a math solution or just talk things out with me and do little check-ins. And time and time again, the person who talks the longest on the flip grid is my quietest student in the classroom. Every time it happens, it shocks me, even though I probably am exactly that person. And so it is when we give people the right platform that is when their voice can really shine. And I've found platforms that make my voice shine. And in many ways, that has been because of social media. It's something that I feel very comfortable with. It's somewhere that I feel very social in a way that if I go to a conference and, you know, there's like a certain meetup, I am not as comfortable in that space. Not to say I'm not going to, you know, talk to people. I'm not, 
but I'm going to be talking with a small group of people. I end up talking with a lot more people when I am virtual. And that's just, that's me. And I like now know that about myself, but it just goes back to the importance of in our classrooms, providing a variety of platforms where students can express their ideas, where they can connect with, with other students in the class. What, what does collaboration look like and mean, you know? What is con contributing to the conversation mean and what does it look like? Again, I told you like, I'm really able to, you know, I'm able to do a Twitter chat, but sometimes I'm not able to do it if, you know, some people would say a Twitter chat's much harder than just like raising your hand and speaking up, but no, not really for me. So I, I just think that is just, it just speaks to what we're saying right now, just speaks to kind of my passion for the work that I do. Yeah, no, and that's wonderful. And I love that you said, you know, and going back to the classroom, offering voice and choice. And I, I spoke about this in a previous episode where, you know, I would have that quiet student who's just learning the language, but she didn't feel comfortable presenting, you know, in front of people. But when she created on her Chromebook and she created, you know, using Google Slides or Screencastify, um, she spoke loudly, you know, with that creativity and, you know, she was working on her language. And then before you knew it, at the end of the year, she was just presenting. She's like, I am ready to present now. And it was just amazing. And so I think that's something that's very important, which I kind of want to kind of segue a little bit into that now, you know, in your current, in your classroom, in your current role with your students, what would, are, or what would be some tech tools that, have worked for you? I know you, you're working specifically with math, but I know that a lot of the tech tools that you do use can be easily cross-curricular. But what are some of your go-to tools to help students amplify their voice? Yeah. And I just want to share that I'm actually not teaching a math class right now. I'm just working with teachers. Um, but I love that you asked the question of go-to tools, because actually that's what I call them too for the tools that I share with my teachers. And as much as I'm like always researching tools, I have a very small suite of tools that I really recommend that we use school-wide. Um, and so I think one of my essentials is Pear Deck because first of all, at my school, we're all using Google Slides already. So why not use something that is more interactive, um, you know, that you can do a quick, I mean, I for me, Pear Deck helped me become a better educator because in the sidebar, it had little, um, you know, beginning of class questions, middle of class and end of class. And that simple, the availability of it right in the sidebar reminded me every time I'm making my Google Slides, okay, add in one of those. Pear Deck's already made it. Like they've already illustrated it. Pull one of them in. And then, you know, I didn't want the same question all the time. So I like changed the text a little bit, but it reminded me of like the essential, like, are you doing that beginning, middle, end of class reflection, um, which many times I was closing my lessons without doing some type of reflection thing. It only takes another extra minute or two, right? But the effects of that have been huge on, on how I was able to transform my teaching. So Pear Deck is very important to me. Um, again, like how do we hear from all voices, give every student a chance to respond to the question and see all of the different answers represented on the board. I can do that with Pear Deck. You know, we can so often confuse a very robust classroom conversation with really just a couple people who are raising their hand repeatedly. Um, and when we're in the moment, we might not see that. But when I'm able to put all the answers up on the board, 
whether or not the student is like recognized for that specific answer, I can pull up a variety of different types of solutions. So we can really talk to about like, there's not necessarily one right way to do it, or, you know, let's talk about the process instead of just that final outcome. And then another tool that's been very transformative in how I've assigned videos is Edpuzzle because I'm able to add interactive questions into the videos. I'm able to give students an opportunity to do a little self-check, but also it amps me up with all this information before students even come into the classroom about how I should start class the next day so that my class content really revolves around student needs instead of just, you know, like whatever curriculum I have in mind that day. Um, and we start with a warm up actually that's really based on whatever video they had watched and what questions they most of the class had gotten wrong. And then I can follow up with individual students on what they need. Um, and then the third tool, Flipgrid. I mean, obviously, uh, Flipgrid for all different types of things. I, that is just like one of the simplest tools that I can recommend for every single subject, every single grade level. Everybody can use Flipgrid. Everybody can make their voice better seen and heard on Flipgrid. I really recommend to teachers a lot of times that they start off things with like keep the videos moderated so that, you know, as students are getting comfortable, maybe they don't have to have their video out for the whole class. And then as students get more comfortable with it, start to, you know, make them more public and allow them to then respond to one another. And just like, again, like see how students are feeling and doing and then add and add and add. Um, I also, you know, have done a lot recently of shares on Canva. I think it's an amazing creation tool. Now they even have drawing and recording that's available in Canva. Like you can make a whole flipped lesson in Canva. If I had Canva when I had started making videos, gosh, my life has been a lot easier. I had to like look for so many different tools to make screencasting then. And now you can do it all in one tool. And then the other tool, talk about it all in one that I just think has been amazing is Cami because Cami has, yeah, it has all these features built in. It has, you know, we can mark with annotations with handwriting. We can do text anywhere on the PDF. We can add in voice. We can add in video. We can even add a little screencast and it's collaborative, all happening in real time. So it can be, you know, I, I leave really robust feedback for my students there and then they have a question. They can follow up right there in the cami for the kids who are quieter, for the kids who like to ask a question in class. You know what? They're just going to ask a question in class. They are not going to write it on the cami but it's such a great platform for all different students to like, for me to give really effective targeted feedback. I mean, it's not only for feedback, but I use it mainly in my classroom for feedback um, and really, really actionable feedback so that I can help empower my students to be really owners of that next step of the learning process. Cause now I've given them more tools, they figure it out and then they try again. And again, then if they can't get it, they've got me. Oh, so, I love that. Right? I love that. That is a complete suite there, guys. So those of you that are going to be watching or, or that are watching right now, are going to be listening to this later on. Make sure that you write all of that down. I mean, these tools are amazing. I myself have tried them myself and, you know, love using those. And a lot of people don't believe me, but I was using Cami back in 2000. 
I think it was 2016, 2015, when they first kind of got started a little bit in the classroom. And now just to see where they've come. And of course, you've seen Canva, what they're able to do. Flipgrid, of course. I mean, that, you know, in any situation, just amplifying voice and, uh, you know, just so many great things out there. But I love, like you said, you know, you don't have to know all the tools or get all of the tools. It's just use for what's right at that given point and what you're trying to accomplish. You don't have to implement all five tools in one lesson plan at all whatsoever. So just use what works. But these are great tips by Stacy. Great, great suite that she shared. So thank you so much, Stacy, for sharing that. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, Stacy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here, but we're not done yet. I always end with three questions that I always love to ask my guests just to end, you know, a kind of on a lighter note and so on. So Stacy, my first question to you is this, what would you say currently in the state of education, the way that we are right now in the education landscape, what would you say is your edu-kryptonites? I mean, there's a lot of directions we could go with this question, but, you know, I, I'm going to like stay really personal here and think back to some of the things that I said made my first year teaching so wonderful. Um, and then going back to my personality of my perfectionism, which I think is like, that is, that is forever. Uh, you know, people can think that it's like a, a wonderful trait to have. It's really not. Um, not at all. Not when it's to a degree of like the, a degree where it becomes harmful, which is like for me, uh, you, there's an ideal that is healthy to get to. And then you can go a step above that. And I tend to if I am not in my own self check, I tend to go to that level that is like not a healthy space to be in. Um and so when I was in my first year teacher, what, I was not putting all this pressure on myself because first of all, I was like just trying to do it or just trying to get by. And I was just looking at what really made me happy in the moment. And again, like what was helping my students love my math class. And hopefully if they were loving my math class, then it would grow their confidence in math and their love of math, right? And so... I think that is something that I like really try and get back to. And there's so much, like so many people are doing so much stuff, putting so much stuff out there on social media. I think it's so easy to look at all these things that people are doing and just say like, how are they doing it all? And like, I want to be like them and I need to be doing it all. And we can put so much pressure on ourselves. And I have so many friends who I feel like they do everything and they do everything all the time. And, um, yeah, I think it's just that level of pressure and perfectionism that it can, you know, get to an unhealthy degree. So keep it in check. All right. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you for sharing that and just getting personal. But thank you, because that definitely is very helpful also, as well as there are a lot of teachers. Uh, you know, it just it seems like it's part of the business or or we learn to make it part of the business where we try to do all things all at once, but you are correct. I mean, we definitely need to take care of ourselves. So my next question to you, Stacey, would be is if you could have any billboard, any billboard, what would you put on that billboard? You know, what would it be and why? Yeah. So I knew you were going to ask this question, <laughs> uh, watching your show. 
And I feel like I wanted to come up, I wanted to tell you something that was like authentic and um, original, but I think I've like, I've read the, you know, like in books, I've, re- I've heard this question a lot of times and I've been tainted personally. So I'm going to go with one that I really enjoy of this answer. Um, and it's, it's something to the effect of like, just like, take your eyes off of your phone, which, you know, I feel like has multiple meanings there, right? Because a lot of times you're seeing a billboard while you're driving. So like, take your eyes off your phone and look up. But also just that idea of like, take a moment, stop, pause, and just like, be in the moment. I think that is something that I know that I can use in my personal life, just like to be in the moment, to stop being like, five steps ahead all the time and like thinking ahead and thinking about what's next and just pause, stop like looking at all the stuff that's happening and be present. I love that. Take moment. Yeah. I, you know what? Honestly, I needed to hear that too as well today. And you know, whoever's going to be listening later on, I'm sure that that's definitely going to be very useful, but yes, you're absolutely right. I'm always at least trying to stay like 10 steps ahead, but yeah, you do lose out on certain things because you're so focused on what's not even there yet that you miss so many things that could just be around you at that instant that can just bring you some joy and happiness. And oftentimes, you know, we we do that to ourselves. So thank you for sharing that. And the last question, Stacey, is this, if this was your podcast, so this was the Tech With Heart podcast, and I am your guest on this show, what would be one question you'd like to ask me? I am so curious about how, you know, like you have such a great reach. I feel like your show is just like you get on such different types of people. And you're really able to like put stories out there. I feel like you do a really good job of that. And so my question is like, one, like how, how do you engage your audience so well, you know, and like, I, I feel like just your reach is an what you're doing is just amazing. Um, I'm going to just, I only get to ask you one question. So I'm going to go with that question. I could, I, I wish I could just have a show with you. <laughs> well, I think this, here's one, one answer here. Fonce's voice is calming and inviting. No, but you know what they say? Like, honestly, it, for myself, I think it all comes also from the heart. Very much like you spoke about your book and your journey it comes from the heart. And for myself, I just love, to learn from people. I love to hear their stories because in some way, shape or form, our, the stories could be very similar. Like, you know, today you started talking about your story, how you started off going into business. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, like, you know, it's, we're connected in that aspect and then going into teaching. And then of course our passion for teaching and our passion for tech integration. So for me, it just really comes from that. And, and, people that I look up to that are doing some wonderful things. And, you know, I have educators, I have creators, you know, I'm going to have some public speakers that are, you know, doing some amazing work that's not necessarily so much heavy on tech, but there are stories that need to be shared. And again, going back to just wanting to amplify voices, you know, I want to share, I want teachers just to share their passions because oftentimes, you know, you know, they, they may see us and they say like, well, they're always presenting or they're doing this and so on. 
yeah, you know, you see us presenting, you see us, you know, engaging, you see us sharing these things, but do you ever have a chance to know us? You know, and for myself, it's the same thing with my guests. It's like, yes, I see you guys are doing some great things, but I want to know you. Like, I want to know your story. I want to know where you're coming from. So I think for me, like you mentioned, it's just hearing people's stories and have everybody hear those stories because in one way, shape or form, you're going to find something valuable, some golden nugget, a little gem that you can sprinkle onto your practice, whether it's professional or whether it's personal, and you can carry that with you from that moment on. And it's just something that can make such a huge impact. So that's why I do what I do. And that's why I love doing these shows because I learned so much from, from others. Yeah. Thank you. And you do such an artful job with um, how you structure your podcast and you clearly do so much research on people and their background and making sure that those stories are told. And I just really admire your style. So um, this has been so wonderful uh, to have this conversation with you. Well, thank you, Stacey. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate that feedback. You know, it's not often, believe it or not, it's not often that I get a lot of feedback. And I'm one of those that I love to get feedback. And I tell the audience, I was like, hey, you know, give us some feedback. What do you like? What do you don't like? And that way we can make change. But thank you so much for, you know, for that. It really made my day. And, um, you know, and this this is why we do what we do here. So thank you so much. So Stacey, before we wrap up, okay, where what are some ways that are audience members can connect with you. And if you don't mind sharing, I know I'll put the links up, but just let us know where they can find your book as well. Yeah, thank you. So my main platform is Twitter. So my Twitter handle is at BuddyXO. And I also have a website, techiemusings.com. And I have a contact form there. And I really encourage people to reach out to me like I was saying, like my book started because I was responding to people's emails. I love interacting with people. So never hesitate to reach out to me through a Twitter DM, through a Twitter mention, or through my contact form. I have my, my email on my website also, and I have a lot of resources. I love posting things on YouTube, little tutorials. Um, you can find me, Stacey Roshan, on YouTube. And then... Um, I've been doing more on LinkedIn, so I enjoy that um, space too. So those are my main places. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Stacey. It has been an honor. It has been a pleasure to be able to hear your story and share your story with all our audience members. As how, However far this show reaches, I'm just thankful that they get to know you for who you are and hear your passion. And, and the heart that you put into your craft and in everything that you do. So thank you so much for being open, honest, genuine, authentic, and vulnerable for our audience members today. And so thank you. Thank you for that. And everybody that's watching and listening, thank you so much as always for your support. I really appreciate everything that you have done for us here at My EdTech Live for making the show what it is today. And as you know, my vision, my passion, my mission is to always bring and connect educators and creators creators one show at a time. So thank you always for your support. Make sure that you visit our website at www.myedtech.com 
www.thepodcastmaker.life or you can check previous episodes. Uh, you can go ahead and visit our merch store. We have some new merch out. As you know, we did rebrand and then I did put up a new design yesterday too as well. So support our show with a little bit of, you know, some merch and Obviously, you're definitely going to look good during conference season in the summer. You guys checking out those conferences. You got your My EdTech Life gear on and you're definitely going to be looking sharp. So please make sure you check that out. Or you can always uh, buy us some coffee and just to keep the creativity going. So go check out all those links here in the show notes as well. And uh, as always, thank you so much. And don't forget, my friends, like I always say, until next time. But, you know, don't forget, stay techie.